So we are back in Meet Jesus, our series that we started, I don't know, more than a year ago, I think, through the Gospel of John. We're up to John 8, so we're not halfway yet. We're getting there. John chapter 8. So I'm going to read the first 11 verses from John chapter 8. If you have a Bible, I invite you to look on that with me. I'm using the New Living Translation. And then Jen is going to come and share some thoughts from these verses. So I'll just give you a moment. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Amen. Jen's going to share with us this morning. Please welcome her. Good morning, New Life. Welcome to anyone who's visiting us this morning. And also welcome to people joining us online today. Um, I want to segue a little bit before I actually even get into my teaching. I felt really stirred this morning to pray for this school that we're meeting in. Um, and so we're going to do that together before I start teaching. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but New Life Church has been given a mandate to partner with Fremantle Christian College and to care for this school in the place of intercession. And I believe that there are promises that God has spoken over this school and the impact that it's going to have in this region of Fremantle um, that he's inviting us to contend for in a fresh way. So can we stand just again um, and I just want to ask you, lift your voices. I so appreciated Ken and the team leading us this morning and Jason lifting our voices. It's not because God needs our volume, but it really is a way that we stir one another on and spur one another on in our own intercession. And so let's do that this morning. 
Lord, we just, we bring before you this school, Fremantle Christian College. We bring before you the staff and the, the senior leadership team of this school. We bring before you the council, the college council and the board. And Father, we're asking in this season for a fresh measure of wisdom to be given to them. We're asking God for an increase of discernment and the knowledge of what your will is. Father, we're asking for refreshing in your love for these ones who are leading this school. God. We're asking that you would show them your plans and your purposes in this very hour, God. And we're asking, we're contending again for the students in this school, God, that they would be firmly established in your love, that, Father, you would take their root system deep into your love, that their roots would go down and they would be strong. Take them deeper, God. We cry out, take them higher, take them further. God, we're asking for a fresh measure of your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon these students. Lord, we thank you that you're raising up a company of young people in this school who will know their God and they will do great exploits in the land. God, we thank you that you are the one who goes before this school, that your eye is on it, that you're directing the path of this school, Lord Jesus, and the students and the families that you bring into this place. We praise you this morning, Lord. We say, Father, would you give to your son his inheritance in and through this school? Would you give to your son his inheritance in this city of Fremantle? And Lord, would you help us as a people to continue to contend, to not grow weary in the place of intercession? We thank you, Lord, fresh grace upon us as a community to continue to stand with you until we see that all that you have in your heart, Lord Jesus, being released in and through this school, in this region, touching this nation, God, touching the nations of the earth. Thank you that there are students in this school that you're going to send out, Lord. You're going to pluck them out like brands plucked from the fire, and you're going to set them on fire with your Holy Spirit, and you're going to send them out as witnesses into this city of Fremantle, into other places in this nation, into other places in the earth, Lord Jesus. We just speak that over these students today. We thank you, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm very stirred for this. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining in prayer. Uh, We do pray for this school regularly. Um, And so I invite you to get involved in this in uh, the prayer room just down the road as well. Well, our goal in this series that is called Meet Jesus, our goal is to meet Jesus. Um, And remember, John is writing this account so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And we see this purpose stated in John chapter 20, verse 31. So as we're looking at this passage, we want to be asking ourselves, what is it that this story tells us about who Jesus is? What does the writer want us to grasp and communicate to us about the character of Jesus? And so I'm going to pray again. Father, we just invite that spirit of wisdom and revelation even again this morning. Increase that activity among us, Holy Spirit, that we would see the beauty of Jesus in a fresh light. Amen. So just to recap quickly, Jesus uh, has been teaching in the temple uh, during the Festival of Shelters, and his appearance has brought about a great unsettling amongst the people. Uh, You know, his people have tried to arrest him and he slipped away. I'm not sure how that happens, but he did it. 
Um, it wasn't his time to be arrested. So there's been that attempt. He's had a multitude of accusations thrown at him. Um, and, you know, even his own brothers, they did not yet believe that he was the Messiah. But there were strangers in the crowds that were saying, yes, this is the one. This is the Messiah. This is the promised deliverer king of Israel. So there's this confusion and this um, unsettling that's going on. Interestingly, as I looked at this passage, I noticed that it starts with saying Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. And there's, you know, this grueling and this testing time that Jesus was going through. And I think it's interesting that he retreats um, back to this routine that he seems to have of seeking solitude, most likely to be with his father. Um, Luke's accounts of Jesus' life tell us that this was a normal practice for Jesus to spend time in prayer uh, with his disciples at the Mount of Olives, which is just outside of Jerusalem. I haven't been there myself, but I'm sure there are some here that have. So, um, you know, I just, I wonder about this time you know, that of grueling and testing that says Jesus retreats to this place. I don't know about you, but if you're ever exhausted or a bit depleted, we tend to retreat to places that are special to us. And this place in the Mount of Olives, it's where Jesus will eventually go, um, you know, the night before his betrayal, his arrest. It's the place where um, he triumphantly ascended into heaven after his resurrection And it's the place the prophet Zechariah and Zechariah chapter 14 were given this great hope that Jesus will come again and stand on the Mount of Olives as the victorious forever king of Israel. Um, So, you know, I'm wondering if Jesus retreated to this place, the Mount of Olives, to prepare himself for another day of just intense scrutiny, intense public scrutiny. Um, and I wonder, did, did, did Jesus and the Father, did they talk about the day that, had, that he had been through? <clears throat> Sorry, that he had been through. Did Jesus get a word of knowledge perhaps, like a heads up about this woman who was going to be dragged before him the next day? You know, I just, I wonder these things. There's these gaps in the scriptures that I think are really, it's, it's important to think about the story and what, what took place. You know, we can only speculate but uh, it's clear that retreating to likely spend time with his father was really important for Jesus, especially in this time of intense public scrutiny. And it actually enabled him to return to the temple early the next day, even before the crowds had gathered. And one of the things I love about Jesus is his willingness to share himself, to just, when the crowds come to him, he never pushes them away. He pours out wisdom. He gives out counsel. And I just love that generosity uh, that, that flows from Jesus' heart in this way. So it's in this setting, this teaching setting, that Jesus is so abruptly interrupted by these religious leaders. And they drag this woman before Jesus and before the crowds. And it's obvious that um, these religious leaders, they didn't care anything for this woman. She was simply being used as bait in a trap set for Jesus. Again, you know, there's this gap in the story. It doesn't tell us anything about the background of this woman. 
And I, you know, I can't help but wonder about her. You know, I wonder, had she been in a troubled marriage? Did she have children? How long had she lived these two lives, so to speak? You know, I wonder even the guilty man who conspired against her, was he tricking her with flattery and empty promises? And I can't help but wonder, had Jesus, uh, sorry, had this woman paid any attention to Jesus before this day? Was this her first interaction with him? And I think, you know, it's, I think we sometimes need to slow down when we look at these stories and consider what was it like for this woman, you know, to stand accused, to be publicly humiliated before the crowds, to have her reputation openly tarnished before the people. And there she stands, quite literally, on death row um, in, in the holy temple. Now, the religious leaders, they don't care for the woman and they also don't care for true justice. If they had, they wouldn't have brought the woman alone. They were themselves breaking the Mosaic law by bringing the woman without the man with whom she committed adultery. Moses clearly said that both the man and the woman were to be executed together. And we see this in Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22. So justice demands that the adulterous man face the same treatment as this woman. But these leaders were so blinded, right? They're so blinded by their own hatred of Jesus that they can't even set their trap properly. And I've got to be honest, I feel, I feel sorry for, for these religious leaders at times. You know, they're standing trying to trip up the one from whom all wisdom flows, they're standing there trying to, trying to trip him up. And Jesus himself stated, before your father Abraham was born, I existed. He is the one from, from the very beginning and for all eternity. And so there's this, they, it's like they just can't win. And here they are again trying to trip up Jesus with the Mosaic law. And he himself is the giver of that very law. So, Yeah. I feel a bit sorry for them. They're not going to win. That's kind of the, the end of the story. But it ultimately, this, it ultimately fuels their, their hatred and it fuels their desire to kill Jesus all the, all the more. So here they present their trap before him. They say, teacher, this woman here, she was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, the religious leaders, they were specifically trying to trap Jesus between two laws that governed them. There was the Roman law that governed uh, the society of the day, and there was the Mosaic law that governed the Jewish people and their religious decisions. So under Roman law, the Jews were forbid- uh, sorry, forbidden to execute people. So if Jesus said to stone the woman, the religious leaders would have had Jesus arrested for breaking Roman law. However, if Jesus said not to stone her because of Roman law, then the religious leaders would have persecuted him for elevating Roman law above Mosaic law. Now, Jesus, to be clear, he recognized this trap. He wasn't like, oh, I don't know what to do. He knew it was a trap. And he understood that the religious leaders, they were um, not seeking justice by any means. Jesus wasn't a recognized judge 
in his time, especially not of capital cases. This was left to the um, Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews. So Jesus had no recognized authority in the eyes of humans, in the eyes of the people, um, to render judgment on this case. Yet his response indicates that he is operating in a superior wisdom to these, to these leaders. And instead, we see Jesus, instead of stepping into their legalistic snare that they've presented before him, he silently stoops down and he begins to write with his finger in the dust. The religious leaders, they're demanding, they just keep hounding him, hounding him, give us an answer. What do you say? What treatment should this woman receive? Until he finally stands and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. We see here Jesus' response. He flawlessly preserved both the Roman and the Mosaic law while uncovering the evil intentions of this woman's, uh, the intentions, sorry, in their hearts of the woman's accusers. He went straight to the heart of the matter. Now, there's no doubt that this woman, she was guilty of a capital offence according to Mosaic law. But one by one, in the presence of the greater judge, even though he's not recognized in the eyes of humans, in the eyes of the the society at the time, one by one, the accusers leave. And it starts with the oldest to the youngest, which is insightful in itself. We won't go there today. Um, But I encourage you to have a think about that. Until this woman is left standing there, just her, Jesus, the crowds. I bet the crowds were holding their breath, just wondering what's about to happen. Imagine you turned up for a teaching today and it was interrupted in this way. You'd be holding your breath probably like what is about to go down. And I think, you know, it's this beautiful picture to consider No one man, he stripped this woman of everything and her accusers, they took, uh, sorry, they, um, they came and they took advantage of this woman in her broken state. And now she's standing before one man who's about to offer her the restoration of everything. According to the Mosaic law, there had to be eyewitnesses. That's a bit creepy in itself in this case. Um, But there had to be uh, eyewitnesses. And if someone was to be executed, it was meant to be the witnesses uh, that cast this first stone. Now, since Jesus was not a witness, by law, he could not condemn this woman. He could not do this. Yet he used this opportunity to speak into her, to restore her dignity and her identity and to affirm his flawless assessment of her as he said, neither do I condemn you. I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you. Now I wonder how often this woman replayed this moment in her mind. You know, she had to go on with life beyond this interaction with Jesus. And I can imagine there would have been pain that she experienced from the treatment of people who had seen her so brutally, her sin so brutally exposed before um, the people. You know, she would have had to deal with this pain. 
And even just her own, the own accusations of her mind because of her broken past, you know, these accusations that would come time and time again. I, I wonder how often she replayed this moment in her mind where Jesus said, I do not condemn you. I think she would have drawn on it in order to keep going, in order to keep walking forward. Now, Jesus, he knew this woman was on a path towards death because of her wayward lifestyle. He wasn't ignorant of that fact. And so he mercifully warned her to leave her life of sin. He said, go and sin no more. He invited her into the freedom of being a forgiven one. It's a beautiful invitation when he says this, when he intervenes in this way. And here we come to the end of this passage. But I believe that this, um, this story, it tells us four specific things about who Jesus is. I'm going to look at them together. Number one, Jesus is without flaw and can withstand all human scrutiny. That is good news for those who put their trust in his word. Jesus is without flaw and can withstand all human scrutiny. Every trapped or attempt to try and expose a flaw in him, it ultimately fails because he is perfect in every way. We see again through this passage, through this story, that he's perfect in his wisdom. I love his wisdom. And it makes his ruling, his verdict, his assessment superior to any other. It's his word we need to listen to. Number two, Jesus is able to accurately expose the hearts of people. When Jesus invited the religious leaders to throw the first stone, if they were without sin, he was addressing the reality that all have sinned. We have all gone astray, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We are all in need of cleansing and the forgiveness of sin. You and I, all of humanity, there's no one exempt from this. Number three, Jesus alone can cleanse us of our sinful nature and restore us to a right standing before God. I want, I want you to hear this clearly. Jesus willingly forgives us and cleanses us. He delights, the Bible tells us he delights to show mercy. It brings joy to his heart to extend God's mercy to those who ask for it. He does this in this story. You know, we see how he guarded this woman so well while simultaneously restoring her dignity. And he desires the same restoration of dignity for all who come to him for cleansing and forgiveness. This leads us to point number four. Jesus offers us a new life of freedom as forgiven ones. Oh, this is good news. We don't want to ever graduate past this point. I don't want to ever move past recognizing this. He has offered us a new life of freedom as forgiven ones. Oh, we can sing about that forever, right? When Jesus instructed this woman to go and sin no more, he was demonstrating mercy. And he was showing this woman, this is the way to freedom. This is the way to stay in freedom. Go and sin no more. You know, if Jesus wanted her to remain in bondage, he wouldn't have intercepted her 
with this instruction. If he wanted her to stay in bondage, he wouldn't have added this in. But he wanted her freedom. And as followers of Jesus, we're no longer tied to our identity as slaves to sin. We're no longer tied in our identity to our broken past. And no matter how much your broken past or even the stumblings of today bring accusation against you, Jesus' word is, is greater. And he is able to lead us in a new way of living as forgiven ones. His blood is enough for us to live in freedom, to not only receive it once, but for all. His blood is enough. Even as we've been praying for this school, his blood is enough for the freedom of every student in this school. His blood is enough to free every family member. His blood is enough to break addictions in the city of Fremantle. Even if in this room, if you're struggling, the blood of Jesus is enough. And I want to read to you some of Romans 6. I love this passage. It states so clearly how the power of sin has been broken. And worship team, I'd love for you guys to come up again as we close this morning. These just bits of Romans 6. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. So do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead just like this woman who was standing on death row you were dead but now you have new life so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God the power of sin has been broken at the cross and I you know I felt coming into this morning I felt like God just impressed on my heart that he wanted to deliver people from uh, just bondage to condemnation and shame and he wants to restore joy of being forgiven ones restore the the gratitude in our hearts you know it's condemnation accusation and shame these things actually tie us in bondage to sin but in confession and in the receiving of forgiveness from Jesus we can walk in the way of freedom You know, we've seen in this story that Jesus is the great judge. And his eyes that are described in Revelation 1 like burning fire, they not only see with great clarity the depravity of our human hearts, but they also burn with jealousy and intense desire that we live in freedom, that we live in his way. He wants us to be wholly his. He wants for you and I to be the ones, these forgiven ones who can walk in joy and thanksgiving and also in compassion towards others because we ourselves have received mercy. We know how to extend it with the same delight that God extended it to us with. You know, the accusation that shames us, just as it shamed this woman, 
that same accusation, it cannot remain in the presence of Jesus, the great judge. It cannot remain in his presence. When he pronounces a judgment, all accusers leave. Not one stone can be thrown. That is good news. Not one stone can be thrown. There is no trap that can fool Jesus. There is no sin that he cannot cleanse us of. And he is able to release life to those who are condemned as dead because of their sin. There's a simple invitation here this morning. And it's come and meet Jesus. That's what this series is all about. Come and meet him. Guys, this isn't a new word for me, but I have felt gratitude rise in my heart looking at it again. Just like Nathan said last week, that we don't want to be familiar with this and have hard hearts. We want our hearts to be tender before Jesus, full of gratitude, full of worship for him, full of thanksgiving. If we have tender hearts, we can express that love to the people around us. You know, when they're struggling, we can extend that kindness to them. So come meet Jesus. Come and meet the one who can cause accusation to leave. You know, if you, if you want freedom from accusation, listen to Jesus' word. Listen to his assessment over your life. He said, I do not condemn you. And if you want to come forward today as a physical sign of humility, just confessing, Jesus, I need you, then then do that. This space is open here this morning. You can do that. And if you're online joining us, you know, don't pass this time by. Don't move on to the next thing. Let's do business with the Lord and receive his cleansing, receive his forgiveness again here this morning. He's inviting us into closeness He's inviting us into deeper friendship with him. So if you need to do business with him, let him in. Do that. And parents, I want to encourage you, let's make this a normal part of our family life. You know, the confession, we need Jesus, we need his cleansing. And it's really important that we model for our children how safe Jesus is. It's really important that we model for them that they can come as they are and they can just present themselves before him, be honest before him and receive cleansing for their own lives. It's amazing how much anxiety and depression and heaviness lifts off children and lifts off our young people when they feel that freedom before the Lord. So I encourage you parents, model this for your kids. And if you're here for the first time or joining us online you say i want to know more about jesus i want to know more about how to follow him please come jason and i'd love to have a conversation with you about that decision or plug in with us online uh, via our website but we want to walk with you in this journey of knowing jesus more so let's stand together i'm going to pray and we're going to sing to close Jesus, we love you this morning. We love you. You are the great judge. And your word is true. Your verdict, your assessment over our lives, it speaks louder and more accurately than any accusation that is flung at us. And Lord, we acknowledge this morning that we need you. We acknowledge this morning, Lord Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. 
There is none. There is no one who can go to the Father except through you. We need you, Jesus, every day. And we just stand here in humility and we acknowledge, Lord, we need you. Would you come even now? Cleanse us, Lord, even areas in our lives that we don't even realize that we need cleansing. Lord Jesus, we just invite the work of your Spirit to come and to cleanse us, to wash us. There's no part of our lives that your blood cannot touch. And Lord, this morning, just as you said, you want to free people from condemnation, from accusation, from shame. And so, Lord, we're asking, would you arise this morning, just like you did with this woman. You stood up and all the accusers, they had to leave. And so, Lord, even this morning, we're asking that you would arise over us and that you would silence every accusation of the evil one. Jesus, we just invite your work, your precious, gentle work in our lives. Break every bondage, Lord, and lead us in the way of freedom. This morning, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for forgiveness of sin. Oh, Jesus, thank you that we have been made new, that the old is gone and the new has come. Jesus, we are so thankful for this this morning. We, we just offer you our gift of gratitude, our gift of thanksgiving. Let it be like oil poured out on your feet, Jesus. Let it be the offering we bring you every day. Thank you, Lord. And Father, we're praying that our children, our young people would walk in the freedom of knowing forgiveness of sin. God, we're asking that oppression and heaviness would lift off them and they would be able to lift their faces. Those who look to the Lord, their faces are never covered with shame. Jesus, we thank you for your word that speaks over us. Life. We just receive it this morning. Lord, come and have your inheritance in and through us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.